Greetings to you all. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers Podcast part of your ghoulish day. Those tunes that just went in the old listening vessels is courtesy of the awesome Bobby Mackey, and I, of course, am your host, Tessa Morrow. Firefighters, they go into burning structures while others run out. They save people, animals, businesses, homes. They extinguish the flames to bring hope into lives and dreams. I absolutely love first responders. It's no surprise. It's no secret. I have always looked up to these brave men and women and consider them heroes. Always have, always will. Police officers, paramedics, firefighters, EMTs, such brave men and women. And for those who are first responders and listening, I thank each and every one of you for keeping your communities, family, and friends safe. The year is 1924. Seasoned fireman Frank Levy is at Firehouse 107. Firefighting is in his blood and it's in his bones. Francis Xavier Levy was a dedicated and respected firefighter. He loved his job, and he was damn good at it. Well, one fateful day. It is somewhat kind of slow at the firehouse, and Frank has the task of cleaning the department's windows. He does this for some time, and when he approaches a certain window, he rests his palm on the window pane, and the second that he does, a frightful image appears to him. His very own death. He shakes his head and tries to rid that horrifying image of him dying. Premonitions, you know, they could be damn well terrifying and deserve an episode all on their own, but that's for a different time. Right now, we are solely focused on heroic fireman Frank Levy. The day he had that premonition happened to be on Good Friday, April 18, 1924. His fellow firemen, they notice a change in Frank. He's not his happy-go-lucky, bubbly self. He's not smiling. He's very just staying to himself and very quiet. His firefighting brothers, well, they're very concerned. This is unlike him. Very, very out of character. What's wrong with Frank Levy? He's more a smiling, whistle-while-you-work kind of guy. We all know those people. They walk into a room, and it's like a bright light enters with them. Their smile is contagious. Their good mood is contagious. People love being around them, but not today. Not on Good Friday. Again, I must ask, what's wrong with Frank? Well, after a certain amount of uncomfortable silence goes by, Frank makes an announcement to the firehouse, and it chills the men right to the bone. 
he shares that he has a strange feeling that something is going to happen and that it's going to happen very soon and that he soon will die. Almost immediately after saying these shocking words and before anyone can truly react to Frank, the firehouse alarm rings to life. A fire has taken over Kieran's Hall, a four-story commercial building located in Chicago's Blue Island Avenue. The fire crew of House 107 gets to the building, now fully engulfed in flames, and begins with the task of getting the people trapped inside out to safety. Things are going quite smooth at the very beginning, as smoothly as things can go in such a hair-raising, terrifying situation like this. But like fire seems to do, the flames spread, and it engulfs the lower part of the building. This unfortunately causes the roof to collapse. The walls crash down rather violently and quite unforgivingly. With the collapse comes the trapping of several people, including the man who had a premonition of his death just earlier that very same day, Good Friday, which is proving to be anything but. That horrific day of the Kieran's Hall fire, eight firefighters with the Chicago Fire Department would die. A ninth dies eight days later from his injuries, and a tenth firefighter would die the day of one of his fallen comrades' funerals. He was actually serving as a pallbearer when he dies from suffering a major heart attack. A civilian also loses his life. When others were running, he came to the rescue when he saw that firefighters were trapped. Well, they were trapped because they were trying to get people out, and he felt it was the only right thing to do. So he goes in trying to save these people, and he died trying to save the trapped heroes, becoming a hero himself. Besides those heartbreaking deaths, over 20 firefighters are injured that day. Engine 6 loses Lieutenant Frank Frosch, Firefighter Edward Kirsting, Firefighter Samuel Warren, Firefighter Thomas Kelly, Firefighter Jeremiah Callahan, and eight days after the deadly fire, firefighter James Carroll. Engine 5 loses Captain John Brennan and firefighter Michael Devine. Engine 107 suffers a sole fatality due to the fire. Francis Xavier Levy. It's said that the day after the fire that claimed so many heroic lives, the atmosphere in House 107, and I'm sure in House 5 and 6, and all over the town, the mood was bitter to say the least. Filled with despair, gloom, depression, and perhaps had the surviving firefighters thinking of their own demise whenever that may be, or survivor's guilt, or what have you. The men sat there thinking of their lost firefighter, Frank, and the fire that claimed his life and changed theirs. One of the firefighters looks up and sees this handprint on one of the windows. The men remember that Frank was cleaning those windows just yesterday, and why the hell would there be a print there, so visible and obvious to the eye? Word is that the men at Firehouse 107 would clean, scrub, 
rub, spray, buff, and scrape the glass, trying to rid the window pane from this handprint. But this was to no use as it always came back. They even had a glass expert come over with hopes that the doomed print can finally be erased. So someone from the Pittsburgh Glass Company, well, they come over who actually had manufactured that very window. So we are talking about the big boys, the head honchos, the top dogs, the professionals. If someone had answers or a resolution or a cure, it would surely be the Pittsburgh Glass Company. Well, they came armed and used the most toughest, the most potent chemical cleaning compounds that they could think of. Not even this worked, you guys. They were absolutely just stumped. The firehouse decides to leave the window alone and start to consider it to be a memorial to their fallen brother, a man who was loyal and a skilled firefighter who was taken just way too soon. It's said that a city official stops by and obtained a thumbprint of Frank's and compares it to the print on the window, and the thumbs matched perfectly. That print came from Frank Levy. By now, news of the mysterious print had traveled, and several came to Firehouse 107, including Frank's son, and I did see that his widow and daughter never went to go see it. It was just too hard. But the son eventually was able to go and check it out for himself. I mean, people came from near and far to see this amazing handprint that just refused to leave. Now, fast forward, if you will, to April 18th, 1944. Yes, you guys, this is 20 years to the day that Frankie Levy lost his life to the Kieran's Hall fire. And overly eager and enthusiastic paperboy throws the daily paper right through the window that contained the handprint. Years after the Kieran's Hall fire, during an investigation into the fire, it is revealed that the fire was intentionally set. You see, at the time of the deadly fire, the Kieran's building was now home to several different shops. And this fire was a sad excuse and deadly, may I add, attempt at getting insurance fraud. To be exact, the culprits who had a novelty shop on the second floor were dreaming of a $32,000 insurance payday. They start the blaze by using wood alcohol around the building itself. And years later, they go to trial for arson and murder. And because of their pathetic greed... Several people died that day. The Leather Goods Store, this is where the fire starts. And it is in this store that the deadly plot was planned. The business was suffering and the owners were desperate. They tell their end of the day employees that upon leaving, hey, don't worry, don't lock up, we've got this. Well, the fire starts shortly after and the rest is a deadly part of Chicago's history. While they did go to trial, the result was not what many had hoped for. I mean, it ended well for the murdering arsonists, and not so much for the fallen, their families, and the community. Unfortunately, they are acquitted, because there was no remaining proof that they indeed did start this fire. Everybody knew it, but, you know, without the absolute proof, 
You know, those brave men, they made the ultimate sacrifice. They died that day. They got the death penalty. Their families got a life sentence, never to be the same again. And the culprits were the executioners, and they get away in the end. Just disgusting. When those men died that fateful day, the community, they mourned. They died fighting a fire, something that they were passionate about, and they saved lives that day. Every spouse knows there's a chance when their firefighter leaves that one day they might not come back. They might go from spouse to widow or widower. That one fire may take them forever. It's a hard pill to swallow, but what's even harder is when the fire is intentionally set and that accident turns to murder. You know, like we all lose people. I've lost people. I've lost tons of people. And every single death affects me. It's like if I lose somebody to an illness or a car accident, obviously it's just, it's still a hard pill to swallow. But when you're murdered, it's just a different type of pain. It's like, obviously none of us are going to get out of this alive. We're all going to die. But to be taken in such a form, uh, it just makes me sick. Knowing that their family members, their firefighters went in and then come out because it was set intentionally, to me, that's disgusting. And you never forget that. It's incomprehensible. An accident turns to murder. It's gut-wrenching. And for what? A few bucks? Just because your business sucks? Please. Francis Xavier Levy lived with his wife and two children in a home, sweet home, scene on Whipple Street. And he was admired. He was respected by his neighborhood and the entire community. He fought his final fire at Kieran's Dance Hall. But once the prohibition showed its face, the building soon became home to several businesses. After his untimely death, several upon several folks donate things to Levy's widow and sweet children. While not fighting fires, on his days off, he drove a taxi. Being a firefighter alone didn't pay the bills and feed three mouths, not including his own. Kind of a neat fact, at age 14, Frank, he joins the Navy, where he stayed for eight whole years. 14 years old! He then joins the fire department and serves his community for over 13 years up until his death, dying a hero. What's kind of neat is Frank's son would eventually follow in his father's footsteps, joining the Chicago Fire Department on April 18, 1945. 21 years to the day that his father, Frank Levy, died. So April 18th, you know, I mean, first we have the premonition and the death. And April 18th, 20 years later, we have the paper going through that window. April 18th. 21 years to the day of the death and premonition, we now have Frank Levy's son joining the fire department. To me, that is just incredible. Now, looking further into the man himself, I found some accounts, including one that the person who stayed anonymous said that Frank was their beloved grandfather, that he died when this person's mother, Frank's daughter, was only seven years old. And the brother, Frank's son, he was only two years old. I feel so sad for this individual. 
the love and bond of a grandmother and grandfather is so raw and special and unbreakable. It's precious, right? And the fact that he never got to meet his grandfather is just so heartbreaking to me. I can't imagine. I'm so grateful to have had such loving and caring grandparents that I grew up knowing. This person shares that his grandma, Frank's widow, well, she never remarried. Some say the handprint on the window that refused to leave was nothing more than just a myth, a legend, a rumor, if you will, and that Frank himself did not even exist. But he sure as hell did. There's no doubt about that. And as for the handprint, uh, I believe it existed, you know, that until 20 years to the day later when it was shattered due to a paperboy throwing that paper a little too vigorously. One of the firefighters on duty that day that witnessed Francis Xavier Levy mention his premonition, and this being his last day with the fire station and on earth, was a man named Edward McKevitt. But before the concerned man could respond to the soon-to-be-late Levy, the call for the deadly fire comes in, and it changed everybody's lives forever. I saw another post that caught my eye, and it was from a woman who said that her great-grandfather was one of the fallen firefighters from the Kieran Dance Hall fire. Not Levy, but somebody else. She didn't mention his name, but she says that she recalls seeing photos of the handprint in the fire magazine in the January 1939 issue. And this awesome woman is actually working on getting all the names of the men that were killed in that fire on the National Fireman Wall. Now, she posted this in 2015, so who knows? I mean, perhaps she succeeded already in doing so. I think that's such a remarkable and amazing thing for somebody to do. And I wish her the best of luck in this, obviously. But just in case she has yet to complete this, I want to quote part of what she said. Quote, If someone is a descendant of any of the firemen from Kieran Hall, they can go to the National Fallen Firefighters Project Roll Call website to add their information. Unquote. So just on the off chance that someone who is related is listening, I want to read those names of these fallen heroes once again. From Engine Company 5, Captain John Brennan and Fireman Michael Devine. From Truck Company 12, Lieutenant Frank Frosch. Fireman Thomas Kelly. Fireman Samuel Warren. Fireman Jeremiah Callahan. And Fireman Edward Kirsting. And the firefighter who died eight days later due to his injuries, James Carroll. And of course, from Engine Company 107, Fireman Francis Xavier Levy. Now, unfortunately, I don't know the name of the fireman who died from a heart attack while serving as a pallbearer at one of the Fallen Brothers' funerals. But hopefully one day, if not already, all of these men can be on that website of the Fallen Firefighters. And I don't know the identity of the brave civilian who died while trying to save those trapped firefighters, but he's in my thoughts as well. May every single one of these men rest in peace. And I want to end with a neat poem that I found online dedicated to the Fallen Firefighters. The author, unfortunately, is unknown, and it's titled The Last Alarm. My father was a fireman. He rode a big red truck. 
And when he goes to work each day, he'd say, Mother, wish me luck. Then Dad would not come home again till sometime the next day. But the thing that bothered me the most was the thing some folks would say. A fireman's life is easy. He eats and sleeps and plays. And sometimes he won't fight a fire for days and days and days. When I first heard these words, I was too young to understand. But I knew when people had trouble, Dad was there to lend a hand. Then my father went to work one day, and he kissed us all goodbye. But little did we realize, that night we all would cry. My father lost his life that night when the floor gave way below, and I wondered why he risked his life for someone he didn't know. But now I truly realize the greatest gift a man can give is to lay his life upon the line so that someone else might live. So as we go from day to day and we pray to God above, say a prayer for your local firemen. He may save the ones you love. You know, I got chills when I read this for the very first time, and I got them again just now reading it back to you. So my thoughts and prayers truly do go to all of our first responders. You guys and gals are absolutely appreciated, and your communities thank you too. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Listen to the others, you guys. They're all awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet? Oh, there's no need to fret. You can binge listen right now by hitting up any of those awesome podcast platforms such as Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, CastBox, Apple Podcasts. Wherever you may roam to hear your spooky podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers Podcast lurking in the background. This week's special city shoutouts go to Kernersville, North Carolina, Morristown, New Jersey, Portsmouth, England, West Hills, California, and Conroe, Texas. As always, it is greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for checking out Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. Do you have an idea for a future episode? I'm all yours. Find me on Paranormal Prowlers Podcast Facebook page, or you can email me at paraprowl at gmail.com. Thanks, and we will see you next week.